And happy Valentine's week here at Journey Church International. Way to go, band. A little Blake Shelton this morning to start us off. So, band, thank you. And Jennifer Mariner, let me say thank you to you. You know, we get here really early and set up this sound stuff, which sits in a cold trailer all week. And we've been having kind of some crazy sound issues. But none of today's worship would have happened without you figuring it out and being on the board. So thank you, Jennifer Mariner, for, uh, for what's going on. And y'all, y'all need to know... You know, we're, we're at church. This is not a professional production by any means. Go ahead and turn the light. With that said, you can turn the light on so I can see my Bible. Um, but, uh, you know, this is, this is not a professional production. And, Jen, you need to know if this mic goes out and then this mic goes out. and this, I'll just shout if I have to. No big deal. We're here to learn. So I'm, I'm thankful for all our sound people and light people and video people and everyone doing what they do so we can have a good experience. We, man, I'm so excited for this series. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a little intimidated by this series, but I'm excited about it because I've never in uh, in 12 years of ministry, I've never done a series uh, on marriage. Um, and there's probably a few reasons for that. One, I'm unqualified. Uh, I mean, to be really honest with you, I'll be uh, I'll have been married 13 years this summer uh, and I'm not an expert on marriage. Uh, and man, Danielle and I have a long way to go in our marriage and nothing in this series. I, I won't say anything in this series. I won't tell you to do what I do. Because I've got a long way to go. So it's, it's hard to preach a, a marriage series when you don't do everything that you're saying uh, and you feel you're unqualified. You, you kind of feel hypocritical uh, as a pastor when you get up here and you talk to people about what their marriages need to be and you know your marriage is not perfect. You, you kind of feel like a hypocrite. Uh, and it's interesting because as I prepared for this series, Danielle and I laid in bed and talked on Friday. We've had kind of the roughest probably two weeks of our marriage that we've had in a while. We're in a really busy season of life uh, man, our kids are busy. Life is busy. We, you know, we had a few conferences and things we needed to travel to. And we, it, it's, there's been tension in, in our own marriage and, and in our own life. And you know, maybe, none of, maybe nobody in here experiences tension in, in your marriage, but we experience tension in ours from time to time. And it's hard to preach on marriage when, when you're experiencing tension in your own marriage and, and you're still trying to work through things. And then it's hard to preach on, on marriage because of the high accountability. Um, that, uh, that as a pastor you have. I'm going to have to start doing all the things that I tell everyone to do this week. Um, you know, that's unnecessary on the front row there, Danielle, because she, uh, she'll remind me. I mean, you know how annoying it is to go home and have your wife say, um, you know, well, you, you told everyone to do this, and you're not doing this, and you told everyone to do this, and you're not doing it. So it's hard because there, there's high accountability for someone who, who teaches on marriage. But with all that said, uh, I absolutely love marriage, and our ushers are coming down the aisle right now, and if you didn't get a pen or something to take notes on, just wave at them, and, and they'll give that to you, and in just a few minutes, we're going to open our Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1, uh, and if you didn't bring your Bible today, we'd love for people to have a Bible in their hands, so if you don't have one, our ushers will give one to you, just wave at them, if you forgot yours, if you don't have one, uh, if you just want one to look at today, if you want one to keep, keep it, we've given away over 200 Bibles since we've begun if you don't have one, this is yours to keep. If you do and you just forgot it, throw it on the table uh, when you leave. But I love marriage, um, and I, I, I love my wife desperately. Uh, I mean, I, I, and I love life with my wife. Um, you know, and, and as I look at what Danielle and I are trying to build, and I see what the Bible says about marriage and how enjoyable married life can be, and then as a pastor, you counsel with, uh, you, you counsel with couples who aren't making it. Um, and you see, you see how much divorce hurts people, uh, and and how I mean both sides of a divorce go through hell. Uh, when you see how much bad bad marriages hurt people, uh, and how people suffer, and kids suffer, and in laws suffer 
you know, it's important at least once a year to stop and say, you know, this is what the Bible says marriage should be. Because the, the, the picture that the Bible presents of marriage is just unbelievable. Uh, and it's, it's probably not one that all of us have in our life all the time, but the picture of biblical marriage is just unbelievable. And what's interesting is it starts really early. If you have your Bible or if we just handed you a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 today, and, and you've got some notes that you can take notes on. Or like I said, if, if you're not into taking notes, you can make your grocery list or, or do whatever you want to do with that pen and piece of paper. Uh, but if you're writing, it'll make me think you're paying attention. So just write consistently if you're uh, doing something other than, than paying attention. But in Genesis chapter 1, And in Genesis 2, uh, we see the first marriage in Scripture. We meet the first couple in Scripture. And we see the design of marriage uh, very early in the Bible. And and we look at what marriage has become today. And, and man, we're so far, it seems like, Uh, even in church and in Christian circles. We're so far from from what marriage is. And, you know, I've I've got uh, Journey Church Joe and Journey Church Jane up here today who are going to help illustrate a little bit today of of what marriage is like. And my goal today is, is for you as we get through this, uh, you will not go this week and have a perfect marriage. Probably you won't even change that much about your marriage this week. But my goal is to impact your mindset. So moving forward, uh, whether you're single and one day you're going to get married, whether you're engaged, whether you're dating, uh, whether you're recently divorced uh, and you're working on marriage number two, or if we look at the Bible, we meet, we meet great Jesus followers in the New Testament that have been married five and six times, believe it or not, before they really begin to live for Jesus. Regardless of what situation you're in, I'm going to paint a picture for you from the Bible that, that makes marriage look like one of the greatest things in the world if, if we can do it the way that God says we need to do it. Uh, and we start in Genesis chapter 1. That's, that's where the whole Bible starts, and believe it or not, that's where the first marriage begins. We'll read verses 26 through 28, and then we'll look at Genesis 2, verses 15 through 25. And here's, uh, here's the first people in the Bible, Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Flip over to chapter 2. It's interesting. Genesis chapter 1 is kind of a blow by blow, about three verses a piece on the first seven days of creation. Genesis 2 is kind of a behind the scenes. Uh, It gives us a little more in-depth look specifically at at day number 6. We we just read day number 6 in Genesis chapter 1, a couple verses. God created man and woman, uh, told him to be fruitful and multiply, and that was kind of it. In Genesis 2... We read a little more detail about that story. Uh, Beginning in verse 15, we find out God created man first, and then woman would come later. So in Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man, his name was Adam, which basically means the man. Um, If your name is Adam, you have like the coolest name ever. You're like, what's your name? The man. Uh, My name is, I'm the man. Um, That's that's a a cool name to have. Uh, So the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you'll surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. And he brought the woman to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, first verse in the Bible on marriage comes in Genesis chapter 2. We're not even out of the first week of creation, and we're talking about marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I don't know if you picked it up, kind of the blow by blow of what's going on in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. But you need to know, if the first day of heaven is anything like the first day of Adam's life, I'm in. Because I don't know if you picked up how cool this day was. But, you know, if Adam would have had a Twitter feed, um, and and for those of you who don't know what what Twitter is, ask your grandkids and they will tell you. um, You know, if if Adam would have been updating his Facebook status, like on the first day of creation, I mean, it, it would have been a wild ride, right? I mean, the first... The first tweet that we would have got is, you know, Adam saying, woke up for the very first time, met God. Really cool. Um, you know, and, and like, like hashtag life rocks, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and then like two hours later, he tweets again, just got put into this amazing garden that has like all these animals everywhere. And God wants me to name them, um, you know, hashtag cool, coolest day ever. And then he comes back, just got done naming all the animals. God, God told me. Uh, to go take a nap. So I'm going to take a nap. Check back later. And then the next week, woke up from my nap. Naked woman next to me. God told me to marry her, have sex with her. <laughs> Hashtag unreal. You know, I mean, this is like, this is like the greatest day in the world, right? I mean, this is, and this is what happened here. Um, you know, you, you can imagine how excited Adam was to go to sleep the next time, right? I mean, first time Adam wakes up. God is there. Next time Adam wakes up, there's a naked woman there. You know, Adam probably told Eve, wait till tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen, but it, like, I can't wait to wait. You think Christmas morning excitement is, is, is fun. What do you think Adam was thinking when he woke up? How, do, how, how discouraged do you think he was when he woke up that day and, like, looked around and, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing new? I mean, this was an amazing first day. Um, and, and the first command he had here, here's your wife, uh, take her, be fruitful and multiply. He t- here's your wife, go have sex with her. That's what God, it's one of his first commands to mankind. Go be fruitful and multiply. And here's the interesting thing in the Bible. Before God even built a house, he formed a marriage. Before there was government, before there was education, before there was civilization, before there was socialization, before there was anything. There was marriage. And the Bible is filled with marriages that look just like our marriages today. Unbelievable marriage of two people who, you know, are constantly in love. There's pictures in the Bible of bad marriages. There's pictures in the Bible of bad marriages that end in divorce. Uh, There's pictures in the Bible of second marriages and third and fourth. And in the New Testament, fifth and sixth marriages. Uh, We see couples in the Bibles who have disagreements about how they want to raise their kids. Uh, we see in the Bible people who get stood up at the altar. You might, if, if you know the Bible very well, you, you might remember the story of Samson who, you know, he and his wife literally on their wedding day uh, decided not to get married. Um, and, and he went and beat up all her friends because he was so upset about what had happened. Uh, there's people who fail miserably in marriage in the Bible. And then there are people who fall in love and love selflessly in the Bible. And the best picture 
I mean, if you want to look at the best picture uh, in my mind of true love between two people who are married in the Bible, uh, we, we find one verse in the Song of Solomon that really sums it up. If you have your Bible, and, and you don't have to turn there, but you can, uh, and in the NIV Bible, which is what I'm reading from today, it's actually, the, the book's actually called Song of Songs, but I, I like referring to it better as the Song of Solomon because it is his song. And if you don't know where it is, Pro, Psalms is a big old book in the middle of the Old Testament. You'll, you, you'll be able to find Psalms easy. Then you have Proverbs and you have Ecclesiastes. Then you have Song of Songs. And Song of Songs is, is a journal entry. Uh, basically, it's, it's a lost journal between a man and a woman who were engaged to get married. And we see basically the month leading up to their marriage. We see their wedding. We see their wedding night, and then we see life as they begin life together as a newly married couple. That is really the content of the book of, the, of Song of Solomon or, or Song of Songs. The reason it's called Song of Songs is because we're told in Scripture that Solomon wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, and he wrote over 1,000 songs. He was a songwriter. Uh, and we're told that of the 1,000 songs that he wrote, this one was the best. It was the song of all the songs that he wrote. And in Song of Songs chapter 5, verse 16, Solomon's fiance is describing her relationship to Solomon to her friends. She's talking to her friends about her husband. Now listen, if you sit around a, a bunch of women today and listen to them talk about their husbands, it's probably not going to sound like this, unfortunately. You say, well, what if you sit around with a bunch of Christian women and listen to them talk about their husbands? This is probably not going to sound like this. So well, what if I'm at a women's ministry Bible study and people are talking about their husbands? It's probably not going to sound like this, unfortunately. Because there's, there's a love loss in, in, in life and in marriage today. But here's how Solomon's wife talks about him to his friends uh, in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 16. She's talking about kissing him. She starts out talking about kissing him. She says his mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. And then she says two things. This is my lover and this is my friend. This is my lover and this is my friend. When you look at the Bible, the best, the best summation of Christian marriage in the Bible is Song of Songs, chapter 5, 16. Because biblical marriage, Christian marriage, should be described as two people who are best friends and passionate lovers. And I, and I don't blush when I say that. Danielle might before this series is over. But, but I don't because that's what the Bible says. A married couple should be best friends and passionate lovers. That's, that's how Solomon's wife described him. He's my best friend, and he is my lover. And the aim of this series is to present to you the biblical truth and to present to you. I'm going to give you one challenge every week to help you develop this kind of relationship for those of you who are married. But the, the aim of this series is that we have a church filled with couples that would literally say of their spouse, they're my best friend, and, and we, are, we are passionate lovers. That's my goal for the couple's in our church. Today we have a message titled Marriage, Win, Lose, or Draw. We're going to talk about what a winning marriage looks like. We're going to talk about what a losing marriage looks like. And we're going to talk about what just an okay marriage looks like. And, and hopefully none of us in here are, are, will settle for just okay. Um, message number two next week, we're going to talk about becoming a man of God. Um, and I'm going to lay out for the men in here um, what, uh, what the Bible says that we need to be to lead our families. And the responsibility that we have to create a marriage summed up by being best friends and passionate lovers. Uh, message three is going to be a message uh, that I've titled Under the Covers. 
Um, and, and you can imagine what that message is going to be about. That's going to be the only day we talk about sex in a biblical context. I'm going to ask that we not have any children in the auditorium that day. You know, not that we're going to be inappropriate, but we're going to be honest about what the Bible says about sex. I believe that sex is the most undervalued, underappreciated, um, underused, and undercommunicated thing in marriage today. Most Christian men are bitter about their sex life. Most Christian women are uncomfortable about their sex life. And, and it's the greatest thing that God gave us for marriage that we're not even using to be close with one another. That's, that's a 10-second snippet of what I'll talk about that day. Uh, and then message number four, where Danielle and I are um, we're, we're going to together do a talk called Marriage to Marriage. And we're going to be taking questions all month long of things that if, if, uh, if you had time to ask some questions about marriage or questions about your marriage that you can ask and we're just going to kind of communicate back and forth with our church and, and try to lead people to have a marriage like described in Song of Songs 516. If you're single, this, this series is going to really set you up for success in your married life one day. Um, if you're engaged, this series will be the best marriage counseling that you can receive and it'll be totally free. Uh, if you're married, this series will show you how to take your marriage to a new level. Um, if you're divorced, I, I want you to know first and foremost, and I actually prayed this as I met with my prayer partner this morning. Uh, if you're divorced in the room today, one time, two times, three times, however many times, uh, my goal is that, that our church will be extremely sensitive to you this month, uh, that you'll feel no shame, that you'll feel no guilt, um, that, you, that you'll be able to get past your past and you won't focus on your last marriage the whole time that we're studying what the Bible says marriage is. But that you might learn, you know, okay, here's, here's maybe why things went wrong. Uh, and as I get ready for my next marriage, here's, here, here's how to correct that. That's, I think this series can do that for you. Um, so this series is an important series. And I, can, I, I believe it can be a, a life-changing series. And we start today with a, with a message of, of pretty simple, simply titled, Marriage, Win, Lose, or Draw. You might remember if you grew up when I did, in the late 80s, there was a show on TV called Win, Lose, or Draw. You say, what was it? It was basically Pictionary on TV. I mean, that, that's the thought of the show. But, I, but, but uh, it's hard to have a, a message titled Pictionary because um, it, it only gives you one point instead of three. So I, I took Marriage, Win, Lose, or Draw. And I want to talk to you today uh, about losing in marriage, about having a marriage draw, just kind of a stalemate in marriage, and what the Bible says winning in marriage is. And, and I'm going to use my friends up here, hopefully, to help me dem demonstrate that. The first thing I want to talk about, because we'll, we'll start negative, we'll finish positive, uh, is I want to talk about what a losing marriage looks like. Uh, and, and for those of you who, who might be in a, in a marriage that you feel like is not a good marriage, or maybe even it is a bad marriage, a losing marriage would best be described uh, as living back-to-back. -back. Um, and I hope I don't knock these people down or... Pull their clothes off or anything crazy. Um, that, that's a couple of weeks from now. That's not today. Um, so that you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have a marriage that looks like this. Um, and, and this marriage is best described by conflict. You live in a marriage that is is described absolutely by conflict. You you're in a back to back relationship. You're together. Um, you know, you're you're married. But this guy is living his life moving forward. She's living her life moving forward. They're not headed in the same direction. They don't care about the same things. They're not concerned about the same things. They live life on a totally separate schedule without even thinking to involve one another. And they're married, and they may share a bank account, and they may share a home. But the, but the marriage is filled with conflict. And if we were to be honest, all of us have moments like this. All of us have days like this and weeks like this. 
If I were to be honest, Danielle and I probably our last two weeks have had a lot of days like this. We've been extremely busy. And I've been, I've been doing my things and she's been doing her things. But it, but it, it creates a marriage where you, you're in conflict because your schedules, your life, your, the things you're doing are, are just kind of contrary to each other. Um, and some of you in here, you know, you don't have weeks like this. You have, you've had years like this. This defines your marriage. You literally are in a back-to-back relationship where you're doing your thing, your spouse is doing their thing, and you never even stop to, to check in with each other. Outside of the bank account and the home, maybe some things with the kids. I mean, you, you never even communicate. Um, and a lot of people right now who are in a marriage like this, if they were keeping score, they would say, I feel like my marriage is losing right now. They would describe their marriage as, as a bad marriage. Many would even go as far as to say that, uh, man, as I look at marriage now, um, if I had it to do again and I knew marriage was going to be this way, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't get married. But, but you are married now. Um, and, and you've got to find a way to take this relationship and turn it towards what, what the Bible says. Um, if you're in a back-to-back marriage, and I, I just want, I want to get through this point quickly. Um, probably if, if you live in a marriage like this, you need more counseling than a sermon, but I, I want to give you a few things uh, to get through it. Uh, you say, how do you fix a back-to-back marriage? I'm going to give you four things that will help you begin to fix a back-to-back marriage if you live in this kind of marriage relationship. You say, well, who, who needs to take notes here? Um, if you're in a bad marriage, if you're in a back-to-back marriage, you need to take notes right now. Um, if you know someone who is in a back-to-back marriage, uh, fueled by and filled with conflict, you need to take notes right now so that you can talk to them. And if, uh, and if you don't want to one day end up in a marriage like this, you might want to take notes right now because this is important. Um, you say, how do I fix a back-to-back marriage? Well, first and foremost, you have to be totally surrendered to God because living for your spouse is not going to be enough because they don't, they don't really care about you right now. Living for your kids is not going to be enough because one day they're, they're going to be out of the house. I mean, we're talking about fixing a marriage so that it lasts the, the rest of your life. You're going to have to be totally surrendered to God. And I'm not going to preach through the entire book of, of Hosea today, but I want you to write, just write that word, jot it down on your sermon notes. Hosea is o, uh, H-O-S-E-A. It's a book of the Bible. And it's a book of the Bible about a, a prophet, a preacher, uh, who marries a woman who's a prostitute. And, and they fall in love and he rescues her from prostitution. And after they've been married for a few years, she goes back into prostitution. And she leaves him, and he can't find her. And one day he, he finds her on the street again. Um, and literally, as, as a, uh, instead of as a husband, uh, instead of being a husband, he turns into a client. And he actually buys her from her pimp um, to be married to him again. Because well, You say, why would anyone do that? Because he felt like God told him to. And, and he was totally surrendered to God. He was in the world's worst marriage. He was in a marriage that by all of our standards, by biblical standards, he could have walked away from and started over, but he felt like God wanted him to fix it. And if you're in a, a back-to-back marriage you, and, and you believe God wants you to fix it, the first thing you have to do is be totally surrendered to God. The second thing you have to be, and this is going to be really hard, but you're going to have to be totally selfless to your spouse. And you should write the words on your sermon notes. You should write the words, serve them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few years ago, a, uh, a, a movie came out called, was it Fireproof? Was that the movie that that church did that had the book, The Love Dare? Is, is, am I right on that? Um, you know, and, and it was a movie about a, a couple that, you know, life, their marriage was over. Um, and a man decided that for 40 days 
He was just going to serve his wife. Uh, and at the end of 40 days, if he could win her heart, if he could win her love, great. If he couldn't, you know, then, then unfortunately they'd have to start over. But he realized if he was going to do his part in fixing the marriage, he had to serve his wife. Uh, and, if, and if you're in a marriage that's not good right now, I, I challenge you. Um, here's what you need to do. If, if, uh, and Karen, will this guy like, will he, will he fall apart if I lift him up? Um, if, if you're in a marriage where your spouse is facing the other way, and they're not going to face your way, um, and, and they don't like the things you like or do the things you, you do, you need to go and get in front of them and just start living their life with them. Even if you don't like it and you don't like what they do, you just go get involved in their life so they see you trying to make an impact. You serve them. You, you, uh, you become selfless to them if, if you're in a back-to-back marriage. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians seven sixteen. this is what the Bible tells us to do. How do you know, wife, whether you can save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you can save your wife? When the marriage is almost over, how do you know that if by serving each other you can't save the marriage? Uh, if you're in a back-to-back marriage, I, I challenge you, try, try to save it. You have to thirdly, you not only have to be ter- totally surrendered to God and totally selfless to your spouse, but you have to totally surround yourself with a great network of people who are helping you try to make it. One of the worst things I see in marriages that are struggling is spouses surround themselves with people who hate their spouse and like their entire network of helpers are telling them just end it just get divorced he's a bum you know she's a bum just get over it and you need to take all the people who want you to end your marriage just set them on the sidelines for a little while in your life and find people who say if you feel like god wants you to make this um i will help you uh, you know, you don't need someone, um, you know, when, if, if you fall in the water, you don't need someone to stand there and tell you, hey, stupid, you fell in the water. You need someone to help you out. Um, and that we often, when marriages go wrong, we surround ourselves with people who tell us we have a horrible marriage. Listen, we know that, you know, we get that. We don't need you to tell us how bad marriage is, how bad life is. I, I don't need anyone to encourage me to get divorced. That's what I want to do. I want someone to encourage me not to. I want to be surrounded with people who try to help me save my marriage. Um, I love what, um, what the Bible says here um, about, number four, being totally fi- centered on fixing yourself, not fixing the other person. Uh, oftentimes when I meet with people whose marriages aren't going real well, they just want to talk all about what the other person's doing wrong. Uh, and the Bible says, listen, when things are going wrong in your life, you need to be centered on fixing yourself. Don't worry about them. Fix yourself. And in Matthew 7, 3, the, the, Jesus said, listen, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Sure, your spouse is doing something wrong, but you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. If you want to save a bad marriage, you have to quit looking at all the things your spouse is doing, and you've got to start looking at you and saying, what can I change to possibly save this? Yeah, unfortunately, most times a back-to-back marriage is described as, as a bad marriage. There's usually reason for this. One, one or more spouses have done something probably really wrong, really screwed up at some point in time. Uh, but these marriages can be saved. These marriages can be fixed. These marriages can be turned around. And, and these marriages don't always have to live in conflict. If proper steps aren't taken to get out, it'll struggle. But, but they don't have to be lived in conflict. And listen, I, I want you to hear this loud and clear. I'll never stand on this stage and tell anyone in our church to go get a divorce. Because uh, I, I don't believe that's the role of a pastor. And, and in uh, many cases, it's not the biblical thing to do. But I will stand on this stage and tell anyone in this room that if you do get divorced, we will stand with you and walk with you until you're healthy in life. 
Um, because if we're not willing to do that, uh, more than one out of every two marriages end in divorce, we're not going to have very many people to minister to if we reject people who are divorced as a church, right? So we, we have to stand with people even when it falls apart. And, and we'll do that for you. We'll do that for your friends. And we'll do that in this community. Uh, so th- this is one type of marriage, back to back, living my own life, doing my own thing. Uh, the next type of marriage is, is better. Uh, it's a big step forward. It's not biblical marriage, but it's a big step forward. Um, and it's, it's what I would call uh, a, a shoulder-to-shoulder uh, marriage. It's a, it's a marriage draw. It, you know, it's, it's, it's not great. It's not terrible. Um, but it, it's kind of it's kind of shoulder to shoulder. This this marriage would be defined as a partnership. This is probably where many of you in this room are today. This is where most marriages are. Um, they're they're partnerships. Lots of people live here, um, and and I believe this type of marriage, unfortunately, for the church has become kind of the church's cop out. Um, you know, we we take Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians five is a great verse that uh, Ephesians five twenty two through twenty five somewhere in there. Uh, talks to us about marriage and how to love and serve your spouse. But so often churches have taken that verse and, and they've created roles in marriage. Um, you know, this, this guy leads and, and, this, and this one follows. And those are our roles and we, and we are partners. Um, really, it, marriage isn't meant to always be a partnership. There's things we partner together to do, but marriage isn't meant to be a partnership. It's meant to be a relationship. It's meant to have people who, who are in love. This marriage is, is not a marriage that's, that's bad, but it's not a marriage that's great. It's a marriage that lacks love. It's a marriage that lacks passion. It's a marriage that lacks romance. It's a marriage that lacks sensitivity. Um, it's like a business deal, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's a marriage that's centered around the needs of being married. I need someone to do this. I need someone to do this. And you, as a spouse, you work well. Need someone to take care of the kids, need someone to wash your clothes, need someone to pay the bills. I mean, it's a nice partnership, and you need each other. But when that need goes away, you find out we don't love each other anymore. This was a huge reality to me when I started doing student ministry and, and watched people who had been married 20, 25, 30, 35 years. As soon as all their kids graduated and got off to school, these spouses looked at each other and said, you know, now that the kids are gone, we don't have anything to live for, and, and they get divorced. Because they didn't really love each other anymore. They just had a partnership of raising kids. Uh, There's a book on the New York Times bestseller list right now on marriage called Real Marriage. It's an unbelievable book. I'd recommend it to any of you that I've been studying the last few weeks. Uh, And and I pulled this quote out of it. I've got two quotes that I want to read you from this book. Uh, One of them said this, Marriage often starts out as a journey between friends. But it gets off course as friends become business partners trying to pay bills, parents trying to raise kids, Caregivers trying to tend to aging parents. Cab drivers trying to shuttle family members to various events. Event planners trying to pull off everything from holidays to birthday parties. It's a marriage more characterized by handshakes than hugs. Hey, you doing this? Yeah. You doing this? Yeah. And if you look at the level of your communication, it's all about something else. You're going to pick up the kids? You're going to pick it. You're going to get the laundry? Did you pay the bills? Where do you want to eat dinner? There's never any romantic conversation. Listen, husbands. Your wife is not your cab driver to shuttle your kids from one event to the next. I mean, in marriage, we do that. We have a lot of things we partner together to do. But if it's purely a partnership, I do my part, she does her part, but we sleep in the same bed and we've made it this far. I'm telling you, that's not a great marriage. That marriage may last you the rest of your lifetime, but it's not what God intended for you. Once the kids leave for school, 
You don't need the partner to help you raise kids. Once you have a different business, you don't need your wife to help you in the business. Once you lose the dream that you've been pursuing on two incomes, I see that happen a lot. People are married and on two incomes, they can have this kind of house and this kind of life, and one of them loses their income. They say, well, we just fell out of love. No, you weren't really in love anymore. You were just pursuing a dream together that you both loved. And when the dream fell together, the love went out the window. There's too much emphasis on shoulder-to-shoulder partnership in a lot of Christian marriages. Too little focus on, on, uh, on love. I met with a man. It's one of the strangest relationships or the strangest conversations I ever had about five years ago. I met with a man for marriage counseling who was really struggling in his marriage. And he had gone to a church for marriage counseling. Uh, and he, he basically told the pastor, uh, I don't feel like I love my wife anymore um, and I want a divorce. And the pastor gave him counsel that sounds biblical, but it's stupid. Um, here, here's what he told the man. He told the man, and, and this, this is a pastor. If I said his name, all of you would know it. Um, he, he told the man, listen, you don't stay married because you love your wife. You stay married because you love God. Loving your wife has very little to do with it. Now, that's one of the most romantic things that, that I've ever personally heard, right? I mean, can you imagine putting that in a Hallmark card? Uh, you know, happy anniversary. I don't love you, but I love God. So here's to 25 years, you know, cheers. I mean, that, that is, that's pathetic spiritually. You know what happened? That pastor within the last year was just let go by his church because they found out he was having an affair. He said, did they, did, was he having an affair because he, he didn't love God enough? No, he's having an affair because he didn't love his wife. You see, marriage is about loving your wife, not just loving God. Loving God is a part of it. And there are times when you're really mad at your wife. Daniel Friday told me I was a jerk. You know, I told him, I said, you shouldn't say, call me names like that. He said, well, you are. You're being a jerk right now. I said, you know, all right. That moment, we weren't the most in love. And she might have stayed married to me because she loved God. But long term, you stay married, right? You did, didn't you? Admit it. You want to confess it right now? You sure did. <laughs> you stay married because you love your spouse. You stay in a great marriage because you love your spouse. You know, so many times we turn marriage into, you know, spiritual obedience. Well, God wants me to stay married. Yeah, he does. But, like, you can love your spouse, too. Marriage doesn't just exist in partnerships. Real marriage, that the book continues to say this. There are too many guys, and I'm going I'm to place the blame on guys here. And next week we're going to talk about men leading their families. Because I believe it's our job. Um, But real marriage says there's too many guys who turn marriages into a job description. He does his responsibility, she does hers, and there's no emotional connection whatsoever. This is a sin of omission, things you're not doing right. I didn't hit her, I didn't yell at her, but you didn't love her. You didn't connect with her. You didn't encourage her. You didn't pursue her. So ultimately, you failed her. Not only do women initiate most divorces, I found that interesting, They often do so because they've lost hope that their emotionally absent husbands are ever going to change, so they walk away forever. Shoulder to shoulder is where most decent marriages are. And you know what? This this is probably, this appears to be a very good marriage when your kids are young because you're just really busy together. But as they get older, you realize there's, there's not a whole lot of love in this marriage. And it's interesting because we see a back-to-back marriage. We see a shoulder-to-shoulder marriage. But the Bible defines marriage. And this is, this is not a bad marriage. This is a decent marriage. But who wants a decent marriage? You know, who wants decent kids? You know, who, who wants a decent job with decent pay? You know, don't we desire more for our life? You know, the Bible desires winning in marriage. 
as a relationship that exists face to face. And here's the interesting thing about putting these mannequins face to face. They don't have heads. So technically, they're not going to look at each other. Um, and I didn't know that. But, but the thought here is that you live life focused on one another. You live life more focused on your spouse than anything else in life. It gets your most time, your most attention, your most focus, your best energy. Your spouse is the first and foremost thing. Everything else comes second to having a face-to-face marriage. Now, the Lord talks about face-to-face relationships. In Exodus 33:11, the Bible says the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks with his friends. In Numbers 12, 8, uh, God said to the people of Israel, with Moses, I speak face to face. In John 15, 15, Jesus talked about his relationship with his disciples. And he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Listen, a great marriage, a winning marriage is defined by friendship. It's defined by friendship. And this is, norm, this is usually where actually relationships begin. Begins with the friendship. Quickly turns into partnership and, and we forget our best friend. In Amos 3.3, 3, great verse in the Bible, it says, Do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? Do two people live together their whole life unless they want to? Not they need to, they want to. Do two people live their lives together unless they really want to? In our society, yeah, sometimes they do. But it's not what God has planned for your marriage or for my marriage. You you should write down the words best friends on your sermon notes somewhere and ask yourself the question, is my spouse my best friend? Because Eve was Adam's best friend. You say, how do you know that? Because there's nobody else on planet Earth besides those two. They had to be best friends. And it's interesting that God set marriage up in that equation, that it was two people who acted as if they were the only two people alive. Everyone else who didn't exist yet wasn't around to bother them. They were all each other had. That's the picture of the first marriage. Two people who together can sustain life even with no one else around. Say, well, how does this happen? How do I create a friendship? with my spouse if I don't have one right now. I've got three challenges for you um, that, uh, that I want to encourage you to do this year. Three for this year, one for this week. Um, first, we become best friends by having shared hobbies. It's interesting, a lot of the marriages that I watch fall apart are marriages where both the man and woman have high energy, high time commitment, usually high dollar amount hobbies, but they never coexist with each other. A man who spends thousands of dollars and thousands of hours playing golf on the golf course, but he's never with his wife. A wife who spends thousands of dollars and thousands of hours doing something else, but they never do anything together. You know, friendships are created by hanging out with each other. And when I talk about time together, I'm talking about TV. You know, you say, well, the the godless TV? Yes, find a TV show you like to watch and sit and watch it together. Spend time together. Go see a movie together. Um... Watch sports together. You know, some of your wives are saying, I I hate sports. Do you love your husband? Watch sports with your husband. Go shopping together. Some of your husbands say, I hate shopping. Do you love your wife? Go shopping together. If you have the the correct phone, you can do both at the same time. You can sit in a chair in a store and watch sports while acting like you care about the clothes that your wife is trying on. I've done it. It can be done, and it brings you closer together. 
Um, I promise you. Go to kids' events together. You know, I, I see families that the dad has become the parent of the son and the mom has become the parent of the daughter and just the kids are so busy that the mom and dad never see each other because the dad's married to his son and the wife is married to her daughter and they're not married to each other anymore. Shared hobbies. You've got to start living life together. Together is the key. You know, really, I think this drives my wife crazy because I love to be with Danielle. If I have a free moment in my day, I want to be with Danielle more than I want to be with anyone else. If anyone invites me anywhere, I take Danielle with me because I love to be with Danielle. I'd rather be with her than anyone else in the world. And last week I got invited to a, a pastor's event in, um, in Virginia just outside of Washington, D.C., uh, we're a part of a church planning network there who's, who's heavily funded our church. They give us mentorship. They give us coaching. And once a year, we have to fly out there and go to a conference that they put on. Uh, and I took Danielle with me. Uh, and I walked into this room, this pastor's conference, and when we got there, I walked in, and I estimate there were 150 men there and one woman. I was the only guy who brought my wife. And Danielle was so embarrassed, and I said, listen, I'd rather you be here than the rest of them. I like spending time with you. Someday she'll have things planned and I'll have a lunch cancel. I'll say, hey, you want to eat lunch? And I'll just harass her because I want to be with her. You know, she'll tell me, listen, you're a grown man. You don't need me every minute of every day. Go away. I say, but I like to be with you and I'm preaching this series and we need to spend more time together so I'm not a hypocrite. I mean, you know how all that, how all that works. Um, spend time together. Um, date nights. You need to write down the word date. Listen, you fell in love by going on dates. You stay in love by going on dates. When's the last time you went out on a date? I'm talking like you, you left the kids at home and you went and had dinner or a movie or you just went to a park and threw a, a frisbee, took a walk. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some people throw frisbees. I've never done that in my life. I just said it. Um, I was thinking of a cheap date and that's what I thought. Go throw a frisbee. Um, take a walk. You know, do things together. Go places together. Um, my, my one challenge, I told you I had three challenges for you. My one challenge this month is for you outside of Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day doesn't count because I know all of you are going to do something nice on Valentine's Day. Uh, you've already got it planned. That's right. Tuesday, it's all going to be perfect. Um, but outside of Valentine's Day, everyone in this room who's a couple needs to go on a date before March 1. Somewhere, sometimes. So I don't have time to go on a date. We don't have money to go on a date. You don't have time not to go on a date. When we got into the process of starting our church, another one of the networks we're with is just outside Atlanta. Um, and there were six of us in a class together who all planted a church last fall. And we were given, there was a guy who had planted a church three years ago in Cartersville, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta. Uh, and in three years, his church had grown to a thousand. He was nationally known. He, he was a, a young guy. And literally, when, when we came in, all of our coaching, they said, you need to do it like Mike. 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 They even gave us all Mike's stuff. And they said, take Mike's documents and put your church name in for his church name. He's the most organized, greatest, best in the world, blah, blah, blah. That, that's what January, February, March held. In April, it came out that Mike had been having an affair with his secretary for two and a half years. And his church crashed and burned. And he still keeps up a blog. And I thought this was so interesting because I, I read what he wrote about his marriage. And it was so sad. But it's the, it's the condition of a lot of people in here today that don't have time. Don't have time to go on a date. Don't have money to go on a date. Um, and the title of his blog is I Was Broken. And he said this, on the surface, everything looked great. I planted a successful church. We were reaching 700 pe- 750 people after one year. 
uh, I was in a, per, a picture-perfect church, and I had a picture-perfect family. But under the hood, things weren't right. I allowed our 12-year marriage to become all about our kids. They didn't run the schedule, but I eased into the role of father and subliminally pushed the role of husband down the list. I began to see my wife as the mother of my kids rather than my wife. We moved to Cartersville with a three-week-old, began a church planning journey. When we launched the church, our third child was one, one month away. Uh, I went to work while my wife stayed home with the kids. There's nothing wrong with that arrangement in general, but there was for us. We stopped having fun together. Not having any hobbies together was a serious issue. I needed fun things to do, and I needed to be able to do them with my wife. These two things put a strain on my marriage, and the pressures of planning and leading a church didn't help. People have affairs when they perceive something else to be better than the life they're currently living. It wasn't just the excitement of the unknown. It was the dissatisfaction with my current state. Listen, we didn't need a marriage conference. We needed a babysitter so we could go spend time together. We didn't need cards on Pastor Appreciation Day. We needed friends that we could hang out with together. My marriage was broken because I was broken and didn't seek help. Church planning didn't kill my marriage. The problem was me. So I don't have time to go out on a date this week, uh, uh, this month. You don't have time not to. If you want to have a 30, 40, 50, 60 year marriage that you actually enjoy, you don't have time not to. So you have to become best friends. How how do I do that? We shared hobbies. How do I do that? Take dates together. How do I do that? Romantic getaways. I mean, I had a pastor a few years ago tell me one time a year, Christian, you need to leave your kids at home and you need to take your wife somewhere to a hotel and just stay all night and just be at least one night a year where you go away, you eat a nice dinner, uh, and you spend time together. And, and he told me, you know, this is a, a guy who was just nuts. And he said, listen, there's two types of getaways. He said, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, a Presbyterian getaway um, where everything is predestined and predetermined, you know. And he said, you know where you're going to eat and what you're going to do. And your schedule is planned down to the detail. He said, then there's a charismatic getaway. He said, where the whole thing is all about uh, speaking in tongues and laying hands on each other. And that's the only agenda you have for that whole vacation is y'all are going to use your tongues and your hands to, to be together spiritually. I call it a charismatic getaway. So once a year, you need to have a charismatic getaway. And you need to go let the gifts of the Holy Spirit reign in your marriage for that, for that night or two. And it's interesting, Daniel and I never did this. Why? We didn't have time. We didn't have money. And one day we got stuck in Chicago on the way home from Ohio. The ice storm hit. I don't remember what year that was. The ice storm hit Kansas City. And we got stuck for three days in Chicago. We, we didn't have any clothes. Um, you know, we had one change of clothes because it was a one-day trip. We didn't have any money. I mean, we just got stuck in an airport hotel in Chicago. And we had the greatest time of our life. And it was like, you know, you woke up without the kids waking you up to eat breakfast and looked at each other and it was like, man... Where has this gone? Where has this face-to-face gone? We, we're not spending enough time together. So now once a year, we go someplace for just a day or two, and we hang out and get to know each other and just go talk and listen without the kids around, without life, or without too much life happening. Your kids need to know that you'd rather be with your wife than them. That tells you when you have a strong marriage. Uh, Christian, you know, little Christian always wants, he hates the food at his school. So every day he's like, Dad, will you bring me lunch? Dad, will you bring me lunch? No, 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 no. And on Fridays he'll ask, Dad, will you bring me lunch today? And I, son, and I always say, Son, what do I do on Fridays? You take Mom to lunch because Friday is our staff day off at church. And he knows. Son, what do I do? on? You take Mom out to lunch on Friday. I won't even ask on Friday. I know that's the day you spend with Mom. Your kids ought to know you have a day that you spend with your spouse. How serious is the Bible about spending time together? Pretty awesome verse, Deuteronomy 24, 5. 
They're talking about people who are supposed to go to war. They're talking about gearing up for war. And here's what the Bible says. A newly married man must not be drafted into the army or given any other official responsibilities. He should be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he's married. God said, listen, I, I, like, I, want you to, I, I need you to get to know each other. So if Israel's going off to fight a war, but you just got married, you can't leave. It's more important for you to get to know your wife than for you to go fight for your country for the first year. Just get to know each other. That's God's rules. Man, I wish we lived in a society where we can do that today, but we, we've got to implant that into our schedule now. Ecclesiastes 9-7, I don't think it's on the screen. I added this late. Solomon says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. Live joyfully with the wife who you love all the days of your life. That's the goal for Christian marriage, for us to be happily married for the rest of our lives, for us to spend a lot of face-to-face time putting each other first and foremost in everything that we do. Now, God told me to change how I was going to end this message today. Because my initial, in my initial notes, I've even got it crossed out here. I was going to ask everyone today to evaluate what type of marriage you have. Back to back, shoulder to shoulder, face to face. To evaluate where you are in marriage and to discuss that this week. And God said, Christian, everyone's going to go home and fight with each other all week if you do that. So don't, don't ask them to evaluate where they are. Here's what I feel like God wants me to do for us today. I feel like God says, ask these couples to pick the one that would be their dream marriage and to begin to discuss how to do that. Ask these couples not to say where they are because you don't want to fight about the past. But starting today, if you can choose one of these, which one do you desire for your marriage? And then to go away and talk about how you're going to get there this week. For some of you men, you're going to have to change to get here. For some of you ladies, you're going to have to change to get here. You say, well, how, how do we know what to do? Go out on a date. Go, go to a Starbucks, spend $10 buying two cups of coffees, or, you know, or go someplace cheaper and spend less money, um, and sit and talk for a few hours. And say, how, how, how are we doing? How are we going to get to the next level? How, how are we going to have a marriage char- characterized by being best friends and passionate lovers? Man, I know that's where I want to get. I know that's where I want to get. And as a pastor, that's where, uh, that's where I want to see you get as well. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And uh, God, I'm thankful, as a, uh, not as a pastor, but as a husband. Uh, I'm thankful for the work that you've been doing in my life as, uh, as, Lord, I've worked through this series this month. I'm thankful for the conversations that Danielle and I have had because our marriage has a long way to go. And, Lord, I don't stand up here to say, be like me, because uh, I, I have so far to go. But, but I know what the Bible says is good. I know what the Bible says is great. I know what the Bible says is bad. I know what the Bible says is kind of a draw. And God, I desire in my life to have a marriage where, uh, Lord, Danielle and I one day look back on kids and grandkids and everything else and where we can still say what we said this week, that if there's any break in the schedule, any free time, we'd rather be with each other than anyone else in the world. Lord, I pray that that will be the testimony of our marriage. I pray when she talks about me to her friends, like Solomon's wife, she'll talk about me being her best friend and, uh, and how well I love her. And God, I pray that you allow me to do the same thing when I talk about her with, with my friends. Make us best friends and passionate lovers. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room today. You know, the first step, you say, Christian, I'm, man, I'm in a bad marriage. I'm in a conflict marriage. The first step that we talked about of restoring a bad marriage is to surrender yourself to God. And if you're in the room today and, and you're not a Christian, regardless of whether your marriage is good, bad, or ugly, regardless of whether your marriage makes it or not, what's more important for you is to surrender to God and say, God, I want to live for you. Um, and I ask you to forgive me for, for not doing the things that I should have done right. And God, I ask you to change my life, and if possible, and if there's still time, change my marriage. If you're in the room today and you're not a Christian and you want to save your marriage, but you realize today you need more than just a good marriage, you need God in your life, then I want you to pray this prayer after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can just pray it in your own heart. I'm not really sure what to say. I'll, I'll say it. You can repeat it. But just pray something like this in your heart and in your head. Dear God, I need you in my life. There's a lot of things in my life, Lord, my marriage specifically, that need to get better. But the first thing I need to do is to surrender to you. Say, I'm sorry for living in rebellion to you. I ask you to forgive me. To come into my heart, change my life, and one day give me eternal life when I die. I need that today. So God, give that to me today. And then God, if possible, change everything else in my life for, for better. And with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, if you're in the room today and you desire a great marriage, a face-to-face -face marriage, I just want you to take a moment where you are and I want you to just ask God, not to pray out loud, but just ask God something like this. God, help me to do whatever I have to do to have a great marriage, great friendship. Change our marriage so that we may enjoy it for the rest of our life. God, the men and women of our church aren't perfect. Never will be. We, we won't even try to do that because we can't get there. But God, we want to be better. And uh, we want to be blessed. So thank you for your truth that, uh, that helps us learn a little bit of that today. And I pray that as we get ready to go this afternoon, that uh, this week, starting Valentine's Day Tuesday and continuing down the road, that this week uh, we'll begin to work on creating biblical marriage, characterized best friends, passionate lovers. We ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together, amen. Ushers, I want to ask you to, uh, to come and stand in your spot, if you would, before we get ready to close.